Good morning again. If you will go ahead and get out your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15 is where we're going to begin our reading this morning. But if you've been uh, attending worship with us or if you're a member here at Southside, then you know then uh, that we have been in the book of Genesis. This is our eighth week and that we are doing a, a 12 week look, a 12-week survey, really, of the book of Genesis. And so we did not leave off in chapter 15, or in chapter 14, rather, I guess, uh, when we last were together, as we looked at Genesis 12, verses 1 through 9. But uh, we're going to start our reading this morning in Genesis 15, and then we'll backtrack a little. And in doing so, as we will follow along in our outline, hopefully you were able to grab one as you came in this morning. That'll uh, be our guide through God's Word this morning, and the answers will be provided on the screen. But we're going to see the tremendous faith that develops in the life of Abram. And what I hope for us to gain this morning is a greater understanding of living out our faith in the midst of a broken world. See, looking to Abram last week, we saw him exhibit tremendous faith in God's promise by responding in complete obedience to God's call. And as he responded to God's call, he did so immediately. Today, as we move through the events after that, which leads us up to this promise becoming reality in the Abrahamic covenant, we're going to see God develop that faith through both Abraham's poor choices, or Abram's poor choices at this point. I'm kind of getting a little ahead of myself for this morning. We do see him become Abraham this morning. I'll tell you that much. So what I want us to see is that these characters in our Bibles are not some collection of altruistic or idealistic pictures of perfect faith. Instead, what God has provided us in his word are pictures of his grace displayed and developed through these people as they lived out their faith in God. So in looking at the text this morning, we're going to take a, a sweeping view of Abram's life immediately following his response of obedience and faith to the call and promise of God. And in doing so, I'm going to highlight significant moments or portions of the text that will serve to lead us all the way up to the pinnacle of this portion of Genesis, and that is the Abrahamic covenant. So we're going to cover a large portion of text this morning. So my prayers that uh, my prayer has been is that I would do so in such a way that is both God honoring and beneficial for us. And so when we ended last week's sermon, my final point was that God's word must be the lens through which we view the world. And as we pick back up in the story of Abram, we see that though he has expressed great faith in obeying God's call, he is still very young in his faith. But with that being said, let's go ahead and look to that key portion of text that I was mentioning a while ago at Genesis 15, and I'll ask you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word, and we'll see here the culmination, and then we'll go back and look to what brought us to this moment. So Genesis 15, starting in verse 1. After these things, 
the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Let's pray. God, as we look to your word this morning, we know that you have provided an answer to that question that Abram asked. And we know, as your people, as your church, that the ultimate answer that you provided to that question of how would they possess the land? Who would be the ultimate heir was Jesus. So God, as we look to your word this morning, may we find comfort, may we find strength, may we find peace, may we find boldness to live it out. God, may we see how you have acted definitively in history to make and accomplish your purposes known throughout eternity and how you invite us to join you in that work. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. So like I said, before we unpack what we've just read, let's go back and see how we got to this point. And so we're going to go back to, to chapter 12 there, so you shouldn't have to go too far. When we ended last week, Abram was in the land where God had called him to go, and he had even set up altars in the land to worship God in the midst of pagan nations. He even set one up uh, at the Oaks of Moreh, there in, at a, a pagan worship site. He sets up a, an altar to worship the one true God. And so even though the land is still inhabited by pagan kingdoms, he lives out his faith and walks in obedience to God's call and in faithfulness to the promise that God had given him. See, Abram to this point has exhibited incredible faith. Thus, this was one of our main points last week. And to this point, the largest amount of adversity that Abram has faced was in his first step of taking that first step in obedience to God's call. He was called to leave behind everything that had to do with his identity, that related to who he was, his land, his family. And he did so without hesitation for the sake of walking in obedience to God's word. Now, you may recall back in December, we were going through the themes of Advent and we set forth a definition, a biblical definition of faith. And that definition was, faith is living with the assurance 
that God's word is true and his promises are sure. That faith is living with the assurance that God's word is true and his promises are sure. Too often we think of faith in worldly terms such as blind trust or wishful thinking. However, this is not the faith displayed for us throughout Scripture. And this is not the faith that, call, that we are called to have. As the type of faith which saves and the faith in which we grow is much different. The faith in which we grow, the faith in which saves us is a faith that is, assured, that is sure of God's promises, that is sure of God's call, that is sure of God's word and the truths therein. As followers of Christ, we do not wishfully hedge our bet on this whole salvation thing. As if to say, I hope it's true, but if not, then at least I did some good, good things with my life. At least I kind of had myself covered in case, you know, something bad happened. That's not how we're called to live out in faith at all. Our faith is built on the rock-solid faithfulness of the truth of God's word. And we see this in Hebrews chapter 11. This is a, a, a text which we've referred to often throughout this Genesis series. As the author of Hebrews so beautifully paints the picture of God's faithfulness and God's grace throughout all of Scripture. And we see this in Hebrews 11 verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. This is the type of faith displayed by Abram. This is the type of faith which God graces us with to come to knowledge of salvation. So where does Abram go from this point? We know from our own experience, that our faith is not something that has fully matured the moment that we believe. I think all of us could attest to that in our own testimonies, knowing what God has done and how far God has brought us since that moment when he revealed himself to us. So not at all. That, that is simply the beginning of a life of faith in which we are continually growing in our faith through submission to the Spirit's work in our life. As we walk by the Spirit, our faith grows deeper and wider, expanding our knowledge of God and our practice of who He has called us to be. So after such a great show of faith, how does Abram respond? Well, chapter, chapter 12, verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Now, again, this is after, immediately after responding in obedience to God's call and in faithfulness to the promise which God had given him that he would be a blessing and that all the nations of the earth would bless him. And so we see now this, uh, he's journeyed toward the Negev and he's built altars across the promised land. And he reaches this point and now there was a famine in the land. This is, these words are a little ominous, not simply because it means lack of food and, and things that they need. 
See, with a famine sweeping through the land, Abram decides to make the wise choice and temporarily go to a large population center. I mean, it's only logical. He goes to where there will be great resources. And Egypt was known for this. The Nile was a constant, which meant that it provided food and water. And even when the rest of the region was wiped out by famine because of the provision of the Nile, Abram knew that the wise choice was to go to Egypt because they could provide for their needs. He's got many people with him at this point. There's just one problem. Abram makes the wise choice, but in whose eyes? I'll ask you to recall what our final point was from last week. Again, God's word must be the lens through which we view the world. In making this point, we noted Abram's actions in walking through the land and worshiping God, even though he had yet to be given the land. So when Abram looked at the land, he saw God's promise. And this was the motivating factor in what moved his feet in obedience in the first place. Well, did you, did you notice the problem there in verse 10? There was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn, sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Abram leaves the land, which seems like the wise and logical choice. However, he did not consult with the Lord. Nor did he hear from the Lord, giving him direction to leave the land. In fact, God is glaringly and deafening, glaringly absent and deafeningly silent from this little sojourn that Abram decides to take. He leaves the land, and before crossing into Egypt... He does another thing which seems wise in his own mind. He tells Sarai to, to simply tell the people that he is his sister, not his wife. Otherwise, if they find out that she's his wife, they'll kill him. So it's another, just, it just seems like the, the right thing to do in his mind. Well, sure enough, they get to Egypt and Sarai, being a foreign woman of tremendous beauty, catches the eye of Pharaoh and is taken into his house. So while his wife is becoming another trophy in Pharaoh's harem, Abram is paid handsomely for his sacrifice, showing us the depravity of Abram's flesh, that though he has exhibited saving faith as a gift of God's grace, he still has growing to do. See, Sarai is subjugated to slavery while her husband is treated to all the frills of luxury at her expense. However, we serve a God who purposes all things for his glory and our good. So even in the midst of our mistakes, God is faithful to use it to accomplish his purposes. God is silent in this sojourn up until the point where he intervenes. Because see, God causes a plague to fall on Pharaoh's house, causing them to quickly figure out that it must have to do with Sarai. So they promptly return her to Abram and send them away out of the land. So even in Abram's mistake of leaving the land and selling his wife, God purposed it to force Abram to return to the land where he was supposed to be according to God's call. You see, church, one of our overarching themes this morning is that though we are saved by grace through faith, our faith is still something which must be refined and sanctified. 
What we learn from this part of Abram's journey is that our faith is refined through struggle. We know that faith is a complete gift of God according to Ephesians 2.8. And we also read this in Romans 12.3. Following those well-known verses of present your bodies as living sacrifice, Paul states this in Romans 12.3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So not only is our faith a complete gift of God's grace, but it's given in measure. And we also read this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, in verse 3, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. And so we see Paul repeatedly talks about how our faith is a growing thing, that God gives it to us in measure. So our faith is a complete gift of God's grace given to each of us in measure as prescribed by God and is something we grow in. See, in this part of Abram's life, immediately following a display of such incredible obedience, incredible faith, and worship and prayer, God is immediately definitely silent when Abram decides to follow his own path. Because rather than walking by faith, Abram walks by human wisdom and intellect to journey into Egypt. And as we learn in God's intervention, the silence is not because God is not there, but simply because Abram does not even look to God in these moments. What was it that Abram showed complete faith in when leaving Haran? What was it that he responded to immediately with such great faith and obedience? The word of God and God's word alone. And what is completely absent from his little journey to Egypt? God's word. When God appears silent in our lives, we would be wise to discern is it because God is purposing this for his glory and my good? Is God causing the silence? See, this is what we see in much of the Psalms. Consider the words of Psalm 62. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Because the other question that we need to discern when God appears silent in our lives is have I silenced God's voice in my life by shutting out his word? But how reassuring is it to know that even in our failure and struggle, God is at work to refine us and point us back to himself. See, our faith is refined through these moments of struggle, of wrestling with our flesh. As we keep reading, we see Abram's response to the error of his ways in chapter 13, starting in verse 1. So Abram went up from Egypt. This is in response to him being sent away from Egypt because of his errors and God's intervention. Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai. 
to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. So Abram returns to the land where God had called him to go, and not just to any spot, but back to the exact spot where he had been when he first set up his camp entering the land. Why? Well, the major key to understanding Abram's return is there in verse 4. Here we see Abram return to the altar that he had built in the first, in his first travel through the land in faith, and he calls upon the name of the Lord. You see, our faith is developed through prayer. Our faith is refined through struggle and developed through prayer, through continued communication with God. Similar to a Polaroid picture. Kids, it was this thing that you took a picture and then it printed it out and you got to see it right away and it was so cool. I realize they're kind of making a little bit of a comeback as like a throwback, which kind of makes me feel offended, but I'll get over it. So similar to a Polaroid picture, when we initially come to faith, we can know and understand that which God has granted us according to his measure. But over time, through the Spirit's work in our lives and through us submitting ourselves to his work, our faith just like the Polaroid, develops more fully. Upon returning to the promised land in disgrace, Abram humbles himself and calls upon the name of the Lord. Abram's cry to God is an example for us of our constant need to submit to the Lord's working in our lives that he may turn our hearts away from our sinful desires, turn our hearts away from our flesh, Keep us from traveling down the path that we think is right and reorient our hearts toward the truths of his word. In his teaching series on the providence of God, R.C. Sproul states this, our prayers are included among God's providential plan for the destiny of his world. And this is what is at work in this moment. That God is sovereignly working in this situation to fulfill his covenant promise to Abram that through him he would bless the nations. So once again, after a display of faith, Abram is faced with another controversy. This time the choice is not food and survival, but family conflict. Nobody knows what that's like. His household and flocks are very substantial, and Lot, too, at this point, has gathered for himself a substantial amount of people and flocks and a bunch of wealth. So Abram's herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen get into a little spat, and Abram's proposal is to avoid conflict by allowing Lot to choose where he will make his camp. So that Abram can then choose the other side. So Abram offers the first choice. He allows Lot to choose where in the land he will settle. And Abram says, I'll take anywhere else. Because God has provided the whole land for us. So the ensuing choice foreshadows what is to come for these two people. For Lot and Abram. See, Lot chooses to move east. Now, I'll ask you to remember earlier in our series, Moses' use of this thematic 
language to indicate movement away from God. Anytime there's indication of movement to the east, it is indicating a movement away from God because Lot chooses to go east and settle near Sodom. And we're explicitly told right there off the bat of the great evil and sin that is already present in Sodom. It's what it's known for. So following Lot's choice, the Lord speaks to Abram and gives him direction on where he is to settle. And Moses uses the same language for both the way that Lot looked at Sodom and the way that Abram looked at the land. But the major difference is that Abram does so under God's direction and Lot does so out of the desires of his heart. See, Lot looks at the land and goes where he knows he'll have good plenty of food for his animals, and he settles near a place known for its sinfulness. And it's interesting as later on in that judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah, we see that Lot is no longer living outside the city, but inside. So upon Abram's response, God also reaffirms his initial word to Abram through the call and the promise. So in these narratives, immediately following Abram's obedience and faith to the call and promise of God, we see Abram having to put that faith to practice. And he is actively having to walk. And as we saw in chapter 12, sometimes stumble, but he is doing so. And as, but as he is doing so, he is growing in his faith through struggle, through prayer, and through continued obedience. Which brings us to our next point this morning, that our faith is grown through continued obedience. If you haven't been able to join us for our Wednesday night emphasis on prayer and praying God's word, let me say you've really been missing out. And you haven't been missing out on any wisdom of mine, but you've been missing out on tremendous times of prayer. As one of our verses from a couple of weeks ago was Galatians 5, verses 16 through 17, where we see, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for the two are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. So here we see that our life in Christ is similar to what we are seeing played out in the story of Abram, as Paul commands the churches in Galatia to actively participate in living out their faith by walking by the Spirit of God, by actively submitting to the Spirit of God, which lives in us, and in doing so, actively denying or putting to death the desires of our sinful flesh. So our faith is refined, developed, and grown through struggle, prayer, and continued obedience. We also see this play out as we move on to chapter 14 of Genesis See, Sodom was part of a group of five kingdoms or cities that rebelled against another group of kingdoms that were requiring them to pay for protection and trade. As the sand through the hourglass, well, sorry, no. See, this is what would happen often with these setups, is that these kingdoms would have these contracts with one another 
as the larger kingdoms would say, we won't destroy you as long as you pay us tribute. And so this group of five kingdoms decides to rebel in chapter 14, these group of five kingdoms, which Sodom was a part of, decides to rebel against this other group of three kingdoms, which were larger and that they were having to pay tribute to. So sometime later, as Lot is living in the midst of these pagan territories, just outside of Sodom, he gets caught up in this battle and is taken prisoner. This would have been a time when the flesh of Abraham would have said, ha ha, yeah, that's right. And that's probably what we would do, right? But that's not what Abram does. So as these other pagan kingdoms are returning their spoils and with their spoils and their prisoners, which one of their prisoners was Lot, Abram hears about this. This is so cool. He takes 318 of his men, he hunts them down, and he rescues Lot. Now, you might be saying to yourself, that sounds like a cool movie, but what does that, how does that play a part in Abram's story of having to do with him growing in faith? Well, let's read what happens as Abram meets with some of these kings to return what he has won back. As he's rescued all of these treasures and these people that were taken by these other kingdoms. Chapter 14, verse 17. After his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies in your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons that take, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Aner, Eshkol, and Mamre take their share. So, upon meeting with these kings, who, one who is clearly pagan, and resides over a kingdom known for its evil, and one who turns out to be Melchizedek, priest of God. Melchizedek cries out and prays to God, worshiping him for what he has accomplished through Abram, and blesses Abram. And then Abram's response leads us to our next point, as he promptly honors God for giving a tenth of his, by giving a tenth of his spoils to the priest, and then... When given the option to take all of the treasure, he refuses so as not to dishonor his covenant with the Lord. You see, church, as we grow in faith, faith roots our assurance in God as the giver of all good things. See, Abram's response in this moment is to walk by faith that God has already provided him everything he needs to accomplish his call and to walk in obedience to God's purposes. He doesn't want to indebt himself to some pagan king. So he tithes a portion and then gives the rest back. 
May we learn from Abram's response here that as those whom God has called, he will also equip us according to our every need for his glory. Our response to this then is to give of our first fruits as an act of worship, just as we did earlier, reciprocating the grace that God has shown us. So as we grow in faith, faith roots our assurance and God is the giver of all good things. Now, there's another figure here which I want us to highlight, and that is Melchizedek. His name literally means king of righteousness. He is the king of Salem, which at this point is the location where Jerusalem will come to be. He's not only a king, but he's a priest king. He believes in God. We see evidences of similar people throughout Scripture. Think of Abimelech or Rahab or Ruth or Naaman or maybe even the wise men who come to see Jesus. Those who previously had had no relationship with God but saw the clear will and the power and the hand of God on the people of God and then they responded accordingly. But Melchizedek is different. See, Melchizedek serves as a pointer to the coming kingdom of Israel to the priesthood, to the kingship of David, as is referred to in Psalms and in 1 Samuel. And ultimately, he points to the coming reign of Jesus. As the author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 8, he serves as the first person to bless Abram according to the promise that God said, that all those who bless you, in order to grow in our faith, we must set out to be at war with ourselves, to consistently put to death our flesh and walk according to the Spirit. Now, this brings us to our original text, which we read at the beginning of today's service. See, as we look at this text, hopefully this gives us a a fuller context. So after these things, so immediately after this battle and after after Abram has returned all of that treasure and the people to the king, their respective kingdoms and he's paid a tenth of it to the Lord. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And the first thing he says is, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So, As we examine this text and we know that righteousness through faith is not something that begins in this moment with Abram, but is the truth that we've seen in the we've seen righteousness by righteousness come through faith in the lives of Abel and Enoch and Noah up to this point. However, this is the Old Testament text when it comes to understanding our it is our faith which makes us righteous. And that we see there in Starting again in verse 4 of chapter 15. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and counted it to him as righteousness. See, the Lord speaks to Abram again. Here in this moment, immediately after fighting a battle, and the Lord tells Abram, fear not, I am your shield. So in other words, that battle that you just fought and won, that was me. And there's more of that to come. But you don't have to fear the sword or the spear. 
because I am your shield. Faith is living with the assurance that God's word is true and his promises are sure. And so to grow in faith is to have full confidence that we are walking according to God's plans and purposes. So no matter what comes, we can be at peace and we can count it all joy because it is all being purposed for his glory and that will be our good. But God doesn't stop there. He also promises Abram that this reward shall be very great, just as he had been promised that his name would be great in chapter 12. So God is reaffirming and re-continuing to remind Abram of his covenant, of his call, of his promise. So after the people of Babel had sought their own greatness, now after denying worldly riches and spoils, God reaffirms his promise of even greater reward. He brings them outside and tells them to number the stars if he can. And Abram believed the Lord and counted it to him as righteousness. You see, the the ongoing reward of our faith is God's glory. The ongoing reward of our faith is God's glory. What a marvelous mystery that the thrice holy triune God would be glorified in and through those who are holy, that is W-H-O-L, O-L-L-Y, sinful, and in and of ourselves. We are completely at the grace and mercy of God to bring us to faith, to grow us in faith, and to declare us righteous by faith. So as we move through the rest of the story, Abram asks God, how can, how can he know all of this? Is Abram's response. And God has him bring an offering here in chapter 15, to make a sacrifice. And then Abram falls asleep after sacrificing these animals and chasing away some buzzards. And God speaks to him and reveals that part of him fulfilling his covenant will include suffering, as his offspring will be afflicted sojourners, but that God will bring them back to this very place. And then God finalizes the covenant by passing between the offerings as a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. Then similarly to what we saw in chapter 12, as we move to chapter 16, this is the establishment of the covenant. And then almost just like what we saw in chapter 12, verse 10, where we had the pronouncement of the call and the promise is promptly followed by silence from God due to Abram's disobedience and walking by his own wisdom and not walking by faith. So now we have the covenant established and the promise reaffirmed and we have followed with chapter 16. We see this same pattern repeat itself here. As the covenant has been established, God has proven himself faithful and he's reaffirmed his promise to Abraham and even told of how he's going to fulfill it. So Abraham has a clearer picture now than he's ever had. However, chapter 16 tells us once again the tragedy of what happens when we follow our own flesh rather than walk in faith. See, Sarai sets out to have Abram provide her a child through her handmaiden Hagar. And yet again... The Lord is glaringly absent from all these interactions in chapter 16. Abram, without consulting God, knowing the covenant promise, having, been, having seen God's hand on him, obliges his wife. And this, of course, creates strife 
in the home between the two as Hagar flees the camp and the Lord intervenes again. So again, God is silent until he intervenes. And through an angel of the Lord, the Lord appears to Hagar as she flees the camp. And just as we saw the Lord intervene when Abram left for Egypt and lied to Pharaoh, the angel delivers her a promise that she is seen and known by God. And in fact, the angel tells her to name her son Ishmael, which means God has heard. She's also told that he will be a wild donkey of a man. I was not told that when my son was born, thankfully. And so this would prove to be true as not just he, but his offspring would grow to be a great enemy of the people of God. A constant reminder of what happens when we seek to do things our own way rather than continuing to walk in faith and receive his child of God's grace, Abram receives a wild donkey of a man. But as we prepare to close this morning, we see the faithfulness of God's grace as we move to chapter 17. Chapter 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. So, The Lord presents himself as God Almighty, El Shaddai. See, this name captures, this is the first time this name is used for God, and this name captures the omnipotence of God. He is the God who has all power, who makes things come to be. And even though Abram has once again sought to do things his own way, he says, I am God Almighty. And with this title comes the command to submit and follow him. As we see there, he says, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. And Abram's response is what? He falls on his face. Just as he had those years ago when he returned from Egypt, ashamed of his sinfulness and cried upon the name of the Lord, now he is commanded to do so at the face of God. And this is also when God pronounces circumcision as the sign, the symbol, the reminder of the covenant, a permanent reminder that God's word must be followed by faith. Because after Abram falls on his face, God says, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. See, with the Noahic covenant, we had the rainbow as the reminder. Here in the Abrahamic covenant, we have circumcision. In the Sinai covenant, we have the Sabbath. 
If you want to add another reminder, we have the Passover, which was a reminder of God's faithfulness to the Abrahamic covenant to provide exit for the people of Israel, just as he had promised Abram that he would when he established the covenant. Ultimately, as we grow in faith, as we walk in faith, as we live by faith, God is glorified in us as we, de- are, as we are declared righteous by grace through faith. See, through the establishment of the covenant, God essentially makes them new. He says, your name will no longer be Abram, but you will be Abraham, which means father of many. And he goes on to tell Sarah, that her name will no longer be Sarai, but will be Sarah, which means princess, because from princesses come kings. And we know that the ultimate fulfillment of the line of the covenant of Abraham is in King Jesus. So who was the one who called Abram out of a pagan culture to follow his word? God. Who caused a plague to fall on Pharaoh's house that Abram and his family would be sent back to the promised land? God. Who gave Abram victory, blessed him in the land, and established the covenant? God. Who remained faithful to the covenant despite Abram's attempt to his own provision? El Shaddai, God Almighty. And this is exactly what he does in the hearts of those whom he calls out of darkness and into his marvelous light. This is what he has done in our hearts in establishing a new and better covenant in Christ. You see, we are people of the new covenant, continuing in the covenant of grace pronounced to Abraham, in fulfillment of the covenant of law proclaimed to Moses at Sinai through the work of Christ on the cross. And it is for that purpose that this morning I want us to partake in the Lord's Supper. So if you'll reach out in front of you, you should find your Lord's Supper elements, a cup with a prepackaged wafer as well. And I'll ask you to go ahead and remove those seals See, in the Lord's Supper, we're given clear distinctives on how we are to take it, where our minds are to be focused, what we are to be doing, and that it is a reminder of our covenant with Christ. And in fact, that's what Jesus does as he takes his disciples to observe Passover, a reminder of God's provision to the children of Israel. He establishes his new covenant, as the author of Hebrews puts it, a new and better covenant, more perfect covenant. And so Paul, in instructing the Corinthians on how they are to partake in the Lord's Supper, in fact, not just instructing, but rebuking the Corinthians for how they have been partaking in the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, He tells them to examine themselves, that whoever takes of the bread and the wine are to examine themselves and eat the bread and drink the cup with all discernment. And so I want to offer a time now of prayer because in this I want to discern because we invite any who have professed faith in Christ and have been baptized to 
partake in the Lord's Supper with us. But we are called to do so in a worthy manner. So let's take this time now to pray. Father, we are humbled at your providential work throughout history to accomplish your purposes and that you would invite us, that you would make a way for us to join you in that work leaves us in awe. So God, now as we prepare ourselves to observe the Lord's Supper, a reminder of what you accomplished for us on the cross, may we do so in a worthy manner with all discernment. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul, instructing the church, tells them in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so there we see the command of Jesus in the Lord's Supper, that we do the Lord's Supper out of obedience to Christ, and the primary way we are walking in obedience is not just by partaking in it, but by doing it in an act of remembrance of the covenant that he established for us. In verse 25, we see, in the same way, also he took the cup. After supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And the final thing in which we see in the Lord's Supper is Paul commends the church, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so let us do so in a worthy manner. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the faith that you have accomplished for us by your grace that you have given us that you would declare us righteous. Help us to wrap our minds around this as as best we can that we may better walk according to the faith in which you have given us in measure. That we would continually grow in our faith by submitting to your Spirit's work in us and that we would walk in obedience to your word. Now, may we be sensitive to those times in our lives when maybe we feel that you are silent. May we be discerning to, to see, are you silent because you are working in us in the silence? Or are you silent because we have wandered so far away from your word and shut you out? Lord, help us to see the example of Abram's faith and how you establish your covenant with him to make him Abraham, father of many so that we may walk by faith as your people, as your church. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.